What if I told you that you could have all of the benefits of Airbnb arbitrage without having to have any of the upfront investment for furniture, security deposit, or rent? I'm talking about timeshare Airbnb arbitrage, and Brian Hatcher is telling us exactly how he's done that to create a business of financial freedom right here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short-term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we teach you all things short-term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me, short-term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short-term rentals. Here we go. Hey, I need to take a really quick break from this podcast. And if you are a loyal listener of the Fearless Investor Podcast, you're probably either a business owner or looking to start a business. And for that reason, you need to make sure you're doing things correctly down to the T from forming the correct LLC to bookkeeping to understanding the tax code and more. It's all really the boring stuff, but it can make or break your business. In fact, if you aren't doing it correctly, you could be like 98% of other business professionals in the U.S. and overpay on taxes. Don't do that, guys. Be the 2%, and that's why I rely on Easier Accounting, and so should you. Easier Accounting is a team of tax professionals that will set up your LLC, keep your books, file your taxes, and they can even repair your credit. And just so you know, I myself use Easier Accounting, and this came after using a similar company that, really being blunt here, completely ripped me off. So when I started using Easier Accounting, I came in a little bit skeptical, but as I started talking to them, I could really tell they had my best interests at heart. And you know me, if I'm not a professional, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to outsource that stuff. And I hope you will do the same and use that same mindset to hire professionals to help you form and manage your business. Easier Accounting is absolutely the way to go. Go check them out at fearlesskyle.com forward slash easier accounting. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me my podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community. You get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course. And maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, what's up, guys? Kyle Stanley here with the Fearless Investor Podcast. Really excited for all of you in Team Fearless to hear about Brian Hatcher's story. I met Brian. Uh, actually, I'd heard about Brian through a lot of different other coaches and other hosts in Airbnb and short-term rentals for a long time. But I finally got to meet him when I was in Cabo for a mastermind that we hosted. And Brian was just a guy that was like, okay, like, yeah, we need to get you on the podcast because over 300 units, all of them in timeshares, he doesn't have to furnish the properties. He doesn't have to worry about any of the maintenance. In fact, all he really does is he markets them on Airbnb and VRBO and other OTAs. And then he talks to guests and that's it. 
And so he's got a whole team, of course, that does all those things. And so he gets to put in a lot of his time and just finding new units. And this has been something that I've heard from a few different people, but I feel like Brian really brought a lot of clarity to this and how it works. And I'm just going to be completely honest. This is not a like plug and play and it's super easy, even though it sounds super easy. It's a lot of work. But if you can do this, the amount of liability and risk goes in arbitrage from, you know, like, let's call it a two out of 10 or a three out of 10 to like almost a zero out of 10 because of the way that these are structured. So without further ado, let's go ahead and pitch it over to Brian Hatcher with the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. And for those of you that are live here in the Six Figure Formula, what's up 6FFers? Excited to be back from Europe and, and I'm going to get this thing started with a huge bang because Brian Hatcher who didn't spend time with me in Europe, but spent time with me also across seas uh, in Cabo. I got to know a little bit about Brian and what he's doing. And I was like, dude, we need to get you on this show. So Brian, welcome in, man. And uh, let's get started with what is your craziest short-term rental story that you've got for us? Craziest short-term rental story. Pretty early, actually, in my hosting career, I had a guest who was very respectful, thought they were going to be an amazing guest. And they ended up showing up to the property. Everything seemed normal. And I remember I was out that day and all of a sudden there were a number of just unreasonable ring notifications. And I was like, man, let me kind of see what's going on here. And I remember looking at the camera and I just slowly, you know, as you're kind of going through the timeline, you can start to see each time motion happen. And every time another car showed up and then another car showed up and another car showed up. And then I started seeing people with like the big aluminum pans and like huge equipment, like sound equipment. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is I know exactly what's happening here. Uh, And I start trying to call them and reach out to them. And of course, they're not answering. And you can see them just pretty much bringing everything for a huge party. And so I was like kind of freaking out because it was the first time I'd ever had to deal with this. Uh, And so I call Airbnb and they're like, oh, okay, well, um, we'll reach out to the guest and ask them if they're throwing a party. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to give away that information. (laughs) Right. So uh, needless to say, I ended up calling the cops and was like, hey, um, I have a situation going on at my house. Is it possible for you guys to help me, you know, get these people out of my house? And they were like, oh, we'll see what we can do. But that's not really, you know, in in our wheelhouse, which was kind of interesting to me. So I ended up just messaging the guest. I sent one message and was like, the cops will be there in 15 minutes. And I started heading to the property immediately. And you could just see on the ring camera, they start to scatter like flies. But <laughs> once uh, I got there, your bluff. they bought your bluff. That's oh, good. yeah. You'd be a once good I got there, player. though, they were ready. I mean, they had posters all up on the It was amazing oh, to me God. what they were able to do in less than an hour. They had posters all over. There was tons of food. They were giving haircuts in there. I mean, it was like there was hair on the floor. There was like a barber chair. Yeah, I was. <laughs> it was crazy, but that was probably the wildest experience I had. Oh my gosh, that's nuts. Well, Brian, uh, like I already mentioned uh, to our our community here, but I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it now that we're live on the podcast. You are a young buck. You're 27 years old, and you've been really like you've had a, a hunger for real estate for a while now. Um, especially just right out of college. So my first question is, you know, when you were growing up, like, did you always think that you were going to be getting into either real estate or some sort of like being your own boss? Or was that something that you learned while in college? Give me a little bit of background on on how that was developed. 
Yeah. So growing up, I was fortunate to see both sides. My dad is and always has been an entrepreneur. He's owned his own business. It's the only thing he's ever done. He's never worked for anybody. His dad was an entrepreneur and he worked for his dad growing up. Uh, he's a mechanic. So then my mother was in corporate America and, you know, had the office and downtown and would travel and all of that okay. kind of stuff. So I got to see the pros and cons of both sides. Uh, but I always loved the level of freedom that my dad had to decide, you know, if he wanted to go to work or if he didn't want to go to work or, you know, no one could really tell him what to do. And I would see scenarios where they could tell occasionally my mom, you know, what she kind of had to do. And so right. I always leaned towards the the entrepreneurial route, but I knew I needed to kind of gather some skills before just diving into it first. So I always knew I was kind of headed in that direction. And when you say you had to gather some skills, what did that process look like? Yeah, um, going to school, of course, I wanted to get the right education and I wanted to figure out, okay, who, what kind of education do the people who start their own businesses get? What's important mm. to know? Okay. And I realized that the main reason a lot of businesses fail ultimately is because of the numbers. So uh, naturally that led me to accounting and realizing wow. that a lot of people who run businesses have accounting degrees. So that's that's kind of where I started. And you were 18 when you made that decision or how old were you? Uh, 16, actually. Wow. Um, my high school had a had an accounting program. So I was actually taking accounting classes um, in high school before I got to college. Like how intuitive for a 16 year old? I remember when I was 16 and I had no freaking clue what I wanted to do. You, but you reverse engineered and said, instead of what do I want to do, it's what field do I want to be in? And you knew it was business ownership. And the number one reason that businesses failed was because of the numbers. So instead of being a business major, you said, no, let's get an accounting degree so I can get really good at numbers. That's that's smart, dude. That's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I don't think I thought of it that deep back then. But in my mind, I was like, this just makes sense. <laughs> Hey, you know what? You're list you're talking to an overanalyzer, so I'm gonna overanalyze everything here. Uh so I want to know from there, you you become this, you know, uh going to school for accounting. When was real estate now on the forefront? When when did you decide, okay, that's the type of business I want to get into? Yeah. So interestingly enough, I always thought I was gonna get into tech, into technology. I have a really good friend, and that's kind of what his whole purview and major is. And so I was always going to kind of be the business side and he was going to be the tech side. And as I started going through school and just kind of learning more and more, especially within my business classes about these very large, you know, business moguls and these old historical families like the Rockefellers and those kinds of people, I realized that something common among them all was that they heavily invested in real estate. And so I realized, okay, I need to at least start learning the basics and get the foundation of this real estate thing because it's going to have to be a part of my life at some point if I want to be a really successful businessman. So I started listening to Bigger Pockets podcast. They were just launching their publishing arm around this time. And so I picked up all of their books, the book on rental property investing, how to invest in property with low and no money down, Jay Scott's flipping book, and pretty much all of those and just started to soak up as much knowledge as I could. Yeah. So a lot of analysis paralysis can happen at that point, right? Like you start reading about all these different exit strategies and you're just like, a lot of people that I talked to were like, which one do I take? Was that where you were at? Was it overwhelming or did, was there a clear path to getting into real estate at a certain exit strategy? So I, there were a lot of different things that I wanted to try and I did end up trying at least one of most things at some point, 
but I knew that my entryway into real estate was going to have to be either something with creative finance and owner finance opportunity or a house hack leveraging a FHA loan or a very low down payment. Is that just because you were low on funds? Yeah. Being, okay. being fresh out of college, I was like, okay, I don't have a whole lot of money here. I knew I had a, a decent job once I graduated, but I still, it wasn't, it wasn't anything to, you know, make a splash just yet. So what ended up being your first deal? So my first deal was a duplex in the West side of Atlanta. Um, oh. And it was an area where I really just wanted to get started, but looking back, I didn't really want to live um, in that area. I just was like, I need a good deal. I want to find something. I want to get my feet wet and just start, you know, getting into real estate. And that project taught me a ton. I had to put a lot of work into it. That time I was still in a an auditor. And so I was, and it was right around busy. I bought the property the back end of the year, right before busy season. And um, if anybody is familiar with busy season in the accounting world, you are working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hour weeks. It's nonstop. You're trying to get, you know, all of the books and financials closed for year end for that company. So I was waking up really early around 4 35 o'clock, running over to the property, setting up lock boxes, trying to figure out what needed to be done, going to work, being on the phone in between meetings and work, trying to schedule the right people to come out there and do work. Go, maybe I'll run there during my lunch break, come back to work, and then run back there and try to lock up at night. And I was just burning the candle at both ends. It was mm. a nightmare. Um, I had, you know, contractors and people run off on me. People say they did work and not do work. I pay people and all kinds of stuff. And so I definitely learned very quickly that I had to get really serious if I wanted to to last in this real estate game. <laughs> uh, Nikki is listening in right now and she says, uh, I'm a CPA too. And yeah, very familiar. Busy season as an auditor was hell. So oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nikki relates. Nikki relates. All right. So you have this project going on during busy season. Did it end up being a short-term rental or when did short-term rentals end up coming into the picture for you? Yeah. So this was my my very first opportunity and to buy real estate. So I, I wasn't even hip to short-term rentals yet. I didn't really even know. Okay. The whole goal at this time was just to get a property to house hack so that I could keep my expenses low, continue to save uh, as much of my, my salary as I could to then keep compounding and buy more and more properties each. At least one property a year was my goal back then. And ended up getting that property stabilized but ultimately had had a few problems with it and had a wholesaler come by at once I was able to fully complete all of the work and um, offered me a good number. And I was like, you know what? This could be an opportunity to allow me to buy in a better area or into a higher okay. asset class. And that's exactly what I did. So I ended up selling that property and then buying a, another duplex in a much better area of town, which I'm very happy about because that ended up becoming my first short-term rental. And because of the location and where it's at, that short-term rental performs very, very well. So um, you said you yeah. weren't really keen to short-term rentals or you didn't know really much about them. Was there a moment of aha where you were like, oh, short-term rentals, that's exactly what I'm going to do for this? Yeah. So I was actually looking for my next property to purchase. And I was I remember I was driving. I'll never forget this. And a, a good friend of mine uh, who you also know, Ruben Kanye, shout out to him and uh, the real estate experiment. But he sent me a podcast from Mike Shogren, Short-Term Rental Secrets. And I remember listening to this podcast and probably halfway through it while I was driving, I pulled over on the side of the road because I, I realized I was like, this is going to change my life. I'm, oh, wow. I'm about to do this and this is going to change my life because I don't have to know. I no longer have to 
go down this long path of buying a property every year and maybe needing 10 to 15 to reach my goal, I can do this with just a few properties. So that's what really opened my eyes to short-term rentals. What Was it the the fact that you didn't have to own the property that was blowing your mind? Or what, what specifically did you hear that you were like, this is going to change my life? It was all of it. The fact that I, I didn't have to own it, the operating model, the, the difference in revenue. I think a lot of times people... Uh, they have a lot of misconceptions about things that they hear online because most of the time they're talking to people who or listening to people who aren't really doing it at a very high level. And so hearing from someone who is actively doing it and how it really works and what profit that you can really make and all of the different systems and structures, it made a lot of sense to me. And I was like, this this is something that I need to try because if this is the type of results that I can get, Specifically in his, you know, podcast, he mentions three to five X in your cash flow. You talk to any investor and you tell them that their their ears are going to perk up. So, <laughs> um, yeah. And straight from there, did you take your duplex as kind of like the proof of concept, and then that was like the platform, or what was the next step for you? So, unfortunately, I just si signed a renewal. I had long term tenants, and I had probably like nine or 10 months until I was mm. going to be able to turn that property into a short-term rental. Cause I, of course I wasn't, I mean, I, I was friends with these people, but at this point I, I didn't want to just, you know, say, Hey, right. I need you to leave so I can turn this into a yeah. short-term rental. So I, I started down the co-hosting route and um, immediately just started trying to learn as much as I could about around the short-term rental process and the systems and tried to set up meetings with a number of different landlords here in Atlanta and just try to pitch my services and, that was it was a little bit of a rocky start. Um, I probably met with 10 to 15 people and got a ton of no's and was very discouraged. A lot of people were like, you you know, how many properties do you have? And I was like, well, right. you'll be the first. And yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, OK. And you're what, 23 years old at the time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was very I mean, so, you know, I remember talking to one guy. He owned a whole apartment building and uh, it was a smaller apartment building. I think it had eight to 10 units. And he was interested in maybe doing two of them. And once we met and everything, he was like, you know, I love I love the hunger, but you're just you're not seasoned enough. Like, I don't I can't work oh, with you. Man. And I was like, oh, man. So, so how, did, how did you get that first? Yes, then ultimately, I got that first. Yes, from an owner who I just sweetened the deal and maybe a little too much. You know, I told them that I would be willing to basically work for free for them for a little bit to prove myself uh, as a co-host until you know, they kind of felt comfortable because they were also at this time, I feel like this was before the real gold rush of short term rentals. So mm -hmm. most people were still really skeptical. And they were like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work. That sounds crazy. You know, these numbers. Right. So and we started the the problem that I, I really ran into with that owner is they didn't have the investor mindset of I want mm. to I want to invest as much as I can into this business so that it can give me a high return. They ultimately sure. wanted to do the bare minimum, but get the maximum. Um, yeah. And so we butt heads a ton. And ultimately, I ended up severing that relationship because I knew that I can't work with you long term, one, to reach the goals that I want to reach, but also to help you reach the goals that you want to reach. We're yeah. just not compatible there. Yeah. Well, and off camera, you told me, you know, it was some of these types of relationships that really turned you off from the co-hosting and now on to what you're doing, which is what we're going to get into. But it sounds like this was not the only kind of relationship that you felt was not on the same page with you, I guess is the the best way to put it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like 
I, I want to, I always want to have a sense of pride in everything that I'm doing and have my name on. And, you know, mm -hmm. with these owners, I tried to share that with them as well as, you know, if I want to, I want us to work together to build something yeah. significant. And, you know, it's difficult to try to find people who are on that same page sometimes who really want to maximize, but also are willing to put in the effort and the investment to maximize. All right. So I'm speaking to team fearless right now, guys, those of you that are relating to what Brian is saying right now, right. With, I don't want to get into co-hosting or I'm in co-hosting and I, I feel like I have a bunch of bosses. I feel like I have a bunch of people that are looking over my shoulder. I'm not on the same page with a lot of them. This has turned into what feels like a bunch of different bosses. So now I have a job again. This question I'm about to ask Brian, for those of you that are like, yep, that's me. That's me. That's me. This is going to be, this is going to be game changing for you. If you really take what Brian is about to say, what did you pivot to Brian? And how did that come about too? Yeah. So I ended up pivoting to timeshare arbitrage, but it came about from developing a network, you know, being in, I joined a mastermind, of course, and started to just talk a lot with more owners and more operators within the space. And that opened up a conversation for me to have uh, meetings with people like Micah from Live, Let, Thrive, uh, some people like uh, Robert uh, Noondorf, I believe is his last name, and some other people who were really just doing different things within the space. And I really got turned on to the opportunity that there was in leveraging timeshares as an asset, specifically renting them. And this really intrigued me because at the same time, this was right around the time where my my family and my parents were trying to get rid of their timeshare. So there were a lot of negative connotations around timeshares already within my family and my perception. So I was like, what do you mean you can use timeshares as an asset? And yeah, it, that really just kind of opened. It led me at what I say is it led me to the door. And then I just kind of kicked the door in and started running around and figuring out everything that what there was to figure out in timeshares. You just asked my next question. What do you mean you can use timeshares as an asset, especially to arbitrage for short-term rentals? It, it, treat me like a second grader right now. What does that look like? Yeah. So I think it's first important to understand the landscape of how timeshares actually work uh, because timeshares are... A lot of times what happens is a company or a network or a resort company hires a, a developer to build out a series of resorts under their timeshare network. And what they then do is turn around and sell fractional ownership in these different resorts. So unlike a developer who builds large buildings and then has a number of condos in it and sells individual ownership to individual units, they can sell at a mass scale since they're only selling you a fraction of that ownership and what they're yeah. really selling you is access at the end of the day because yeah, you don't and, have equity in the in the property that you're getting in a timeshare correct no yeah. equity and what they do is then give you some sort of structure each resort network is different some do it on a week's basis so you might have a specific week at one of their resorts that you're able to then come and stay every year uh, and then they started to introduce exchange programs where you then could exchange those weeks with other people who might have a different week in that year or at a different resort. So maybe, you know, your week is in Southern Florida and this year you guys, you and your family want to go out to, you know, Southern California. Well, you could use an exchange network and then exchange that week to then try to stay at that resort as long as it's within your network. And so as things kind of started to develop and change, so did timeshare resort networks and they started to introduce different types of deeds and opportunities, specifically with multi-property deeds, which then didn't limit you to only one 
specific resort in that network, but allowed you access to an abundance of resorts within mm. that specific network. And instead of it being points-based, I'm sorry, weeks-based, they started to introduce points-based models where you would have a certain point structure that you're paying for as a part of your ownership within that timeshare resort network. And you can then use those points or cash in those points for nights at different resorts. And so that's kind of the first step to timeshare arbitrage because you can just stop there if you want and say, so okay. Let, let, me, let me make sure I understand. So it, it, let's just call myself the, the customer of the timeshare. If I wanted to get a timeshare, let's say in Maui, in the past, it was weeks based on one resort. So I would go to 123 Main Street, which might be the Hyatt Resort, get that timeshare. I've got that week. But now that same resort, Hyatt, now it opens it up to all Hyatts. You're saying in in the world or just on Maui that I can now use those points towards staying at any of those at any time? It depends. So, and that's that's where things, it depends on the network and it depends on the deed within the network. Okay. Because not all timeshare networks are created equal and not mm. all deeds or partnerships that you can make with the timeshare networks are created equal. It's kind of case by case. It is. You have to kind of learn the nuances uh, of each individual network that you're trying to take it, you know, partner with or use. Okay. So with me being that customer that's either buying weeks or points, you're wanting to what arbitrage those points to use them yourself. And give me, give me the, the, the deeper dive into that. Yeah. So when you typically purchase a timeshare within a points model, you might say you might have, let's say, 10,000 points and points are going to vary across networks and how they have their redemption policies, um, similar to like credit card companies. But it let's say you when you purchase that initial investment within that timeshare network, that cost up front is for those 10,000 points. But you're going to get those 10,000 points annually. So you'll you might use those 10,000 points in the first year and then you'll replenish another 10,000 even mm -hmm. after that deed is paid off or your ownership yeah. is paid off. So you'll have those points forever. And, to, and that allows you to then use those points to for stays or whatever it may be that you can redeem their, them for within that network. So to your point, let's say that resort in Maui is one of the uh, properties that I can book with my points. Well, if I know that the redemption scale for that specific resort is you know, 1500 points uh, for weekend nights and maybe only 750 points for weekday nights. Mm -hmm. I can have an idea of, because you can convert within your network, your points to cash to understand exactly how much those points cost you. Yeah, And then you can also do the research to figure out, okay, for a typical two-bedroom unit in Maui, they're maybe going for, I don't know, 200 and something a night. And so then you're able to kind of start to do the math to say, if I were to book this property in Maui, it would only cost me from a point standpoint, maybe 5,000 points. And I would get a week in Maui that I then could turn around and offer to any individual and sell that at a much higher rate than what it's costing me within my timeshare points. And that's how you can do the arbitrage leveraging points, which is only one way you can, there's more ways to leverage the arbitrage within the network. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's, Let's make sure we're clear on that though. So just using your example, if I go and arbitrage 5,000 points and let's arbitrarily say that, you know, uh, it's dollar for dollar, that would cost $5,000, but you can sell that to someone else at $7,000. You're going to keep the $2,000 spread and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's a timeshare, 
you're not in charge of any of the operations. Right. So there's a lot of operations that are completely, you don't have to worry about cleaning. Um, yeah. You don't have to worry about most, most of the day-to-day -day stuff. <laughs> right. Now we do have a good partnership with the specific networks that we work with because we like to make sure that we can resolve issues as fast as possible. So we do have contacts to, in the event there's something wrong with a guest or their unit, we have the ability to try to move them to another unit and make sure we can put in requests and things like that on their behalf if they reach out to us, um, which they often do since we're the ones they're booking with. But yeah, most of the operational stuff, you don't actually have to have your hands as deep in as you typically do with your owned properties. All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. So, one day I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash price labs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR six-figure formula membership? That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. Okay. How would I go about, if I'm listening right now, what, what would be my first steps to going and renting or purchasing those points so that I could then arbitrage it? Are you going, uh, for the example, you use Hyatt. Are you going to the Hyatt? Are you going to the owners of the timeshare? What's that next step? So... The there's there's kind of two steps. I would say first is you want to gather all of the information for whatever resort network that you're interested in. And you can look up, there's way more timeshares than people know. You know, of course, like you said, Hyatt, Marriott has their own timeshare offering. Hilton has a timeshare offering. Wyndham has a timeshare offering. Worldmark, well, Worldmark is now a subsidiary of Wyndham. There's large and small timeshare offerings. There's some resorts that, you know, there's only three or four resorts within their timeshare network. And a lot of people don't know that you actually, let's say you own a building, you can convert it into a timeshare and actually sell fractional ownership into that building. So there's a lot of these timeshares at a large and small scale. But if you specifically want to get into it, I would just start with setting up like a pitch meeting with one of the actual networks. And you want to have very pointed questions to them so that you can have an understanding of how they operate and how they work. Um, of course, you want to ask questions. They're going to give you their, their pitch. and timeshare salesmen are probably the best salesmen on the they planet. They are good. They are good. <laughs> they're, I don't know if you've ever been to a timeshare presentation, uh, <laughs> but they, they got car stories. salesmen look like angels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. But uh, yeah, I, I would just, you know, ask, start with asking questions around um, what type of deeds they have that give you access to, you know, what different properties in their network. If you're able to share your ownership with friends and family and would you have to use only your points or are there options to use cash payments to, you know, allow your friends and family to use the ben the benefits with your timeshare offering? What the redemption process is like if there's limitations on the number of active reservations that you can have within their network? Um, all of these kinds of questions are going to help you understand if you can actually leverage their network in an arbitrage type of model. And it'll give you a really good understanding of just kind of their journey, 
you know, their roadmap and also just how the resorts work and operate, what they do offer, what they don't offer, so that you can have an idea of how your operations might need to work. Beyond that, because there are a lot of people who don't actually want their timeshares, there's a really big opportunity in purchasing these at a discounted mm. cost, okay. almost, sometimes close to nothing, on the secondary market. Now, you do also have to ask about that when you go and meet because sometimes your networks will uh, limit or reduce the access or not amenities, but I guess ownership benefits that you have if you purchase on the secondary market. So you do okay. want to ask, another question I always ask is, what benefit would I get from purchasing direct from you guys versus on the secondary market? Are there any things that I would lose by purchasing on the secondary market versus buying from you here today? Is how is how you could frame that question. But purchasing on the secondary market, you do have to, I recommend using a broker because there's a lot of, you know, people trying to take advantage in that space since they mm -hmm. know the demographic of a lot of people who own timeshares is older. So they, mm -hmm. it's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of scammy people who want to take advantage of that. But using a broker who has some verified signed contract documents yeah. that they can send you is the best way to go about it. Uh, you always want to make sure that you can lay eyes on the actual deed, the actual contract that has a signature on it so that you can verify what you're buying when you when you look on the secondary market. So the first option was talking to the actual network reps, I guess was the, the term that you used. But the secondary market, who are we dealing with if we are talking to someone on the secondary market? There's an abundance of people. Uh, I ended up meeting a really good broker actually through eBay, interestingly oh, enough. There's wow. a number of people who sell timeshares on eBay. And I realized when I was just kind of browsing that there was one particular account that was posting a lot of the specific type of deeds that mm. I was looking for, but they were selling very fast. And so I was like, okay, let me just send a message to this guy and say, hey, if you have anything that meets this criteria and before you post it, let me know. and. I'll try to take it off your hands. And um, he ended up, I ended up realizing that he worked for a larger company that was brokering tons of different types of deals, but a lot in the timeshare space. And so that ultimately led me down that path of, of finding a good connection to then buy these secondary timeshares. I think this next question is going to bring a lot of clarity. I feel like we're kind of touching the surface right now, but Give me an actual deal, whether it was your first deal, this one that you're talking about on eBay, maybe it's your best deal ever. The process of getting that lead, pitching that lead, and then what the numbers looked like. I think this is going to give everyone a, a real clear cut picture of, of what, what this is going to actually entail. So this might blow some, blow some people's minds. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so this, the particular, the very first deed that I ever got was a... It only cost all in around twelve to thirteen hundred dollars, I want to okay. say. And I ended up finding it through my broker. It ended up meeting all the criteria. It was a multi-property deed that had a, a good amount of points. It was from an older couple who ultimately just wanted out of the timeshare game. They had had it for a number of years, used it for family vacations, and they were kind of done. Their kids didn't want it, and they were just willing to just get rid of it at that point. And so... The, the hard part, I will say, when buying from the secondary market is the time frame it actually takes to close these deals because there are a lot of moving pieces behind the scenes. Uh, it took almost eight to nine months to actually close the deal from the time of me oh, wow. getting under contract. Oh, wow. So that is the that's kind of the tricky part. You can get started a little faster if you purchase direct, but you're going to pay for that cost uh, okay. up front. So the cost can be 
10 to 15 X, which you can pay on the secondary market, but yeah. it's, it's kind of like how important is your time to you? Sure. Um, okay. That's good. To know. And so after closing that deal, I was then able to start within um, one specific resort network that leverages um, Worldmark and Wyndham properties. And we've been able to grow that rapidly. And so that specific deal within the first eight months, yeah, within the first eight months, we were able to generate over six figures just from that $1,500 investment. From one property or because that one property led to more more from that shift. one deed so that one, one deed, deed gave okay. me access to a multitude of properties okay so the dumb question that i have is when you get access to by the way congratulations that's amazing uh you're literally talking about a 1200 dollars investment that turned into <laughs> that that's a that's a huge huge 100x return on investment <laughs> me not knowing me not understanding timeshares because i've never owned one as good of salespeople as they are i did not fall victim um the 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 access that you get is for certain amounts of weeks and times on these different properties, or are you open up 52 weeks out of the year on all these different properties? Help me understand that part. So this kind of moves into the second piece of, yeah. of timeshare arbitrage. So outside of just leveraging your points, which is a really great model, and the, honestly, you, you can, you're going to get the highest spread um, in terms of revenue off leveraging your points partially because you get those every single year and you can be very specific in where you want to redeem those points in markets that have very high ADRs, um, depending on what level of access that you have. The second way is by leveraging additional inventory offerings from your timeshare network. So a lot of times they have bonus owner inventory. They'll have certain types of specials. Um, I know they have, they have specifically like Monday madness deals that we can use inventory specials, bonus specials. They're basically running all of these specials that you can tap into most of the time when inventory owner inventory specifically is low in a market. And so the way these timeshares are set up within the, the legalities and the, I guess, like covenants, a certain portion of the inventory in these resort networks or in these specific resorts have to be allocated to the owners legally because they have a fractional ownership. So uh, most of the time it's around 85 to 90% of the units in that building have to be occupied or used by owners. And then the rest could be sold to the general public. So if you wanted to stay at one of these resorts, it might say that it's sold out because the inventory that you have access to as a non-owner is, is full, even though there might be empty units within that building. And so that is where we come in and become that middleman of then accessing that owner inventory, uh, uh, bringing it onto our platform, and then marketing it to various individuals on our direct website, our OTAs, and so on and so forth. And with that inventory, we're able to then pay cash for. So we have a, a set baseline that the resort has to has to make for, and it varies per unit, per unit type, okay. and per market. And then we have a markup on that specific inventory yeah. that we're doing. And then we market that to the guests. And that's where kind of like the, the secret sauce of the business lies, that how that formula actually works for each individual property. Okay. How many units, how many deeds, whatever, whatever the, the correct term is here, how many do you have? <laughs> right now we have just over 300 units under management. Okay. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. Once the guest shows up, it seems very hands-off, very easy. 
Um, your liability is not nearly as much. However, getting all of it set up, connecting the calendars, making sure the right dates are available. That, that, that seems pretty <laughs> in-depth. Am I right? Absolutely. The operational okay. side of this business is what holds it up, honestly. Okay. You have to a lot of it is really information um, because when you're dealing with this many locations, this many units, you have to have a very clear understanding of how everything actually works and operates mm -hmm. as well as the, the temperature in all of these markets and not from a literal standpoint, but from a, an occupancy standpoint and an ADR standpoint so that you can be strategic in how you leverage the opportunity so that you can maximize your revenue. So it's, it's a really big operational game that you're having to play within timeshare arbitrage because how how good your operations are can determine how profitable you can be so with the entire business of over 300 units what is the size of your team right now and what what are most of those people doing or or are you just solo doing this on your own <laughs> <laughs> so we have four core members uh that work full-time and that are on payroll and okay. then we do contract out a lot of the rest of the work on an on a like as needed basis and what are those four core members doing yeah, so we have everyone is trained on how to do everything, but everyone also has something that they kind of specialize in and are the cornerstone of within the business. So my I have one individual who's basically like my CEO, COO, who really understands and handles most of the operational side of things uh, overseas. Most of the operational work are consistent tasks that have to be done every day making sure that the other team members are balancing our availability, our calendars are matching our resort system availability. Okay. Everyone handles guest communications, but has shifts. So we have a very robust guest manual with kind of templates on how to talk with guests, respond to guests, depending on what channel or platform it's coming in. We also leverage a lot of quick replies and those kinds of things. Uh, we have one of our team members pretty much handles and manages all of our social media and marketing, our creative, and everything related to that side. We have another team member that handles pretty much guest issues and disputes. Mm -hmm. She was um, worked in resolutions at Airbnb for a while. And so anytime there's kind of problems with guests or things going on or, you know, tickets get opened up or those kinds of things, she's the, the primary person on that end. And then everyone kind of rotates responsibilities because we also make sure that people have days off so that no one's getting kind of burnt out. But within just kind of the, and then everyone also handles bookings and fulfillment as well in the event that, you know, um, a booking comes when they're on shift since we're 24 hours. Okay. We're getting close to the end of time here. And I want to make sure that we've gone through the, the most important stuff. So what questions have I not asked that you feel like we need to touch on to make sure people have an understanding of this concept? It is something that I think sounds easy when you kind of just like explain it to people, but there, there are a lot of, a lot of moving parts mm -hmm. of the business. I think it's important to have a really good foundation and knowledge of marketing specifically, because we mm. look at ourselves as almost like a retailer more so than an individual, you know, unique offering. We do know that what we're, what we're providing is, is other people are able to get it in another place or way. We, if you think about, why do people go to a uh, a Best Buy versus Apple when you can buy the MacBook from Apple, but you can also buy that same MacBook from Best Buy? Mm -hmm. There's a but the experience that you get is different if you purchase from Apple, and yep. the benefits that you get are different 
if you purchase from Best Buy. So for example, I know Best Buy, I love purchasing from Best Buy because they have the best customer service and return policy. If you ever have issues or problems with anything that you purchase from there, they'll fix it or take it back, no questions asked. Mm. Um, the, they also typically give you bonuses. Sometimes they'll give you extra things with your purchase. You might get loyalty or bonus points through Best Buy, reward points, whatever it may be. Um, whereas we all know Apple is notorious for not really offering discounts or yeah. bonuses or anything. If you set up an appointment at their Genius Bar, it might take you weeks to fix whatever's going on. So even though you're, the product at its core is the same, the experience that the customer has uh, and what they actually get is different between where they purchase. And that is ultimately what we're providing with Elite Escapes. We're trying to provide the best customer experience for this product and making sure that people ultimately always want to come to us when they purchase this product. So you are the best buy of timeshares and, and timesharing, arbitraging, short-term rentals. That's, uh, that's a good way of putting it. I like it. Two questions before we end here. Number one, what are two or three things that you like better about this model than, say, typical arbitrage or co-hosting or even owning the property? Uh, number one is not having to deal with a, a multitude of owners, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, not having to deal with cleaners either. And the mm -hmm. operate that kind of that uh, those two operational sides of things are probably my biggest um, pro, I would say. And uh, lastly, would be the ability to scale rapidly without having to put significantly more capital or effort in. Okay. Opposite side, what are the two or three things that you like less about this strategy compared to the aforementioned arbitrage, co-seen owning? Your level of control is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. So you don't always, you can't kind of project out what your revenue is going to be. A lot of it is dependent upon what you do and don't have access to. And that can change. And you don't really, you might, you might not even have a heads up. A good example of that is we had a really good um, resort out in Hawaii that was one of our top performers. Um, it carried in one month almost half of our revenue. <laughs> um, and maybe two months later, we lost access to that resort. Mm. So, you know, the, ha that type of stuff being outside of your control is probably the the biggest problem and my the, the thing that I don't like the most about this. Okay. Model. Okay. Uh, so does that create a lot of, um, I guess, uh, urgency to keep on adding units so that if there is turnover, you at least have some replenished? It did, but now I've just kind of pivoted overall. Um, while I do enjoy the business and think that it's a, it's a good cash flow opportunity as most arbitrage uh, deals are, the, goal, the ultimate goal, I think, for all of us in this space is to get to more ownership. Yeah. And so uh, now my focus is development of unique short-term rentals and moving it. forward. That's that's where I want to put put all my eggs. I love it. Okay. Before I ask this next question, 6F efforts who are listening live, get your questions ready. We went over a lot and we, we really were able to do a little bit of a deep dive, but I feel like there's so much more that we can deep dive on with this. So get your questions ready. Put them in the comments. Brian... Uh, where can people find you, get your content? Are you teaching this at all? Just give a little bit of a lowdown on all that. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at, the, at the real estate hacker. And then you can click the link in my bio. The link tree has pretty much everything. If you want to get in contact with me, set up a call, visit my website, or learn a little bit more about Elite Escapes. All right. Any last words for everyone before we log off here? Just keep going. I think in this in this industry, uh, a lot of us have been spoiled by the whole 
COVID timeframe, but I think the consistency and longevity is where the real benefit is in this industry. And I think we're, we're turning the corner into a very interesting time. So if you can hang on and ride this wave, I think it's going to be a great time to be in short-term rentals. All right, Brian Hatcher, you're awesome. Thank you so much for jumping on and helping our audience to conquer the world of short-term rentals, especially timeshares. Thanks, man. Thank you for having me. So if you feel like you're that person that Brian was talking about, you've tried co-hosting, you don't like it, you've tried maybe even arbitrage, you're getting a bunch of no's, this might be the route for you. But if you already have an established business and co-hosting and arbitrage and it's working, one of the things I don't want you to do is I don't want you to get really the, the shiny object syndrome. I want you to really focus on what's been working for you. If you've got that side of it automated, maybe you can go ahead and create another branch, another division, another vertical integration in your business to do something like this. But the worst thing that you can do is take your attention off of what's working for you. If it's not working though, give this a shot. And you can see that it's, it's a lot of work, but it's worked really well for Brian. It's worked well for a lot of other people uh, that we mentioned in the podcast as well. And it could work for you as well. So if you want to review, go check out the show notes in the description down below on YouTube. Or if you're listening on the podcast, it's right there on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. That's going to do it today for the Fearless Investor Podcast, where we're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. See you next time. Hey, Fearless Investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Fearless Investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called The Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.